That was Lee Williams and Dante Tyler. Let's give it up for them. Awesome. Man. The arts belong in the house of God. Is that right? We believe that in this church. Let me tell you about uh, Lee Williams. Lee Williams uh, is founder and director of Project Reclaim Ministries. She's been planning and putting together an upcoming uh, Project Reclaim Conference weekend in October. You'll be hearing a lot more details about that as we approach that. We have a lot of people from Whitley Church and the Bridge who are involved in this effort. Uh, She's taking it upon herself um, to put this together. There's a huge load of financial responsibility. And uh, she knows the Lord's going to provide, and she's trusting him with all her heart uh, with this project. And she needs some funds to pay for the expenses of bringing the guest choreographers in and the people who will do the workshops and then the production that will be presented. So we're going to receive an exit offering today as you are leaving. If you believe, now y'all really shouted real good when I said the arts belong in the church, so we're going to test you on that. And as you're leaving today, guys, whatever you can do to help Lee and Project Reclaim, I, I just thank God that there we serve a creative God. We serve a God who says there are many ways to proclaim the truth, many ways to speak forth and demonstrate the gospel. We just saw a beautiful picture of that right here. So let's support Lee as you are exiting today uh, in this great ministry. Well, we're talking about toxic attitudes, toxic attitudes and how destructive they are, the destructive power of these messed up mindsets. They will deeply affect you personally. They will deeply, if they are deeply affecting you personally because you have some of them inside you, in your mind, then they're also affecting people around you. Um, I want to I read a quote to you uh, from uh, Chuck Swindoll about attitude, about mindsets. How many of you know and appreciate the work of Chuck Swindoll? Isn't he a great author and writer and preacher? And he talks about attitude here. Some of you may have heard this before. I think it's a pretty old quote. So you may have read this before or seen it before, but let me remind you of it today. As we think about the fact that not only do toxic attitudes get into individuals, and not only can they affect a whole family, and not only can families have toxic attitudes, but we pass them down to our children. Amen. Some kids act like they do because it's the only model they've ever seen. It's the only lifestyle and way of thinking they've ever seen. And so it's amazing to me, even in little kids sometimes, we can see toxic attitudes forming because of the model they view every day. Can I preach like that? Just did. Um. But it'll affect you, it'll affect your family, it'll affect your company. It'll affect the people you work with. You know what I'm talking about. Hey, it gets in the church. Absolutely it does. Now, I want you to know that I understand that nobody who comes to the early service is affected by these things. (laughs) But we know some of our other attendees have these problems. Amen? We're going to preach on them today. 
Chuck Swindoll said, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past. Your attitude is more important than your education. It is more important than money. It is more important than circumstances. It is more important than your failures or your successes. And more important than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. Did you hear what I just said? Let let me read that sentence again. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play the one string we have, and that is our attitude. Chuck Swindoll says, I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And then he says, and so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. So what are some of the attitudes we've talked about? Well, before we get into that, let me just remind you uh, about that parable that we've been talking about from the book of Matthew, uh, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, uh, you know about this story in the Bible. And it is that uh, story we have heard uh, about the man who built his house on the sand and the other fellow built his house on the rock. And guess what happened? A storm came. How many of y'all know life is filled with one Storm after another. How many of you know it doesn't matter how much faith you have, you're going to have storms in your life? There's a teaching going around. I've been hearing it for about 20 or 30 years now that you can get to a a faith level where you don't even have storms anymore. Really? Well, I ain't there, brother, sister. (laughs) There are tribulations in this life. There are troubles in this life. Now, I got to tell you something. They are the times in my life when I'm really drawn nearer to God. They're the times in my life when I really get serious. They're the times in my life when I realize how much I need him. The winds are going to blow. The rain is going to fall. Just like in the story in the book of Matthew chapter 7. The winds are going to blow. The rain is going to fall. The floods are going to rise. And whatever house you've built up here, you've got to live in it. You've got to live in that house. <clears throat> I don't know what your mindset is this morning. I, I don't know what messed up mindsets you have. I don't know what was passed down to you. I don't know what your model for life is. But I talk to a lot of bitter people. 
I talk to a lot of people who have messed up mindsets and everything they look at in life, they look at through that mindset. And it taints everything. It, it messes up everything. We talked about the control freak. You remember that? The person who has to control everything. And you can do something and you can set something up and you can have it just right, but the control freak comes along and goes, that ain't right. It has to be this way. Move that and, and get that out of the way. And they have to control everything. Don't point at people in church. Stop. The control freak. And then we talked about that ultimate level of control that is very dangerous called emotional dependency. We took two weekends on that one because it was so important to cover. And then last week, we talked about rebellion. We talked about that sense in us that wants to rebel, that does not want to submit because somehow we think uh, submission is weakness, but meekness isn't weakness. And so we talked about how important it is for the church to understand, for you to understand, even in your job, in your home, in your family structure, that there are times you give in, there are times you submit. There are times that even though the person over you may not be as smart or as educated or as experienced, you submit because that's what makes the organization flow. And we talked all about that last week. What we want to talk about today, number three, is the person who is easily offended. We're going to cover several toxic attitudes today. And uh, I want you to listen carefully. The person who's easily offended. Some people call this a spirit of offense. Down in the South, we say this guy's got a, yeah, got a chip on his shoulder. Um, that word spirit of offense is not in the Bible, but it's not an incorrect label. Scriptures that deal with being easily offended are in Proverbs 18, 19, Matthew, and I'll send you these notes, don't try to write it down. Matthew 20, 10 through 13, Mark 4, 16, 17, Mark 6, 3, Luke 17, 1. Also, study the life of Absalom. If you want to know what a spirit of offense, if you want to know what will happen to a person who is easily offended, if you want to know what kind of road that's going to put you on, study the life of David's son, Absalom. People who are easily offended they will not allow you to hold them accountable. It's essential, especially in the house of God, especially as Christians, that we are able in love to hold one another accountable. We need to be able to uh, receive correction, receive warning from one another. But the person who is easily offended will not allow you to hold them accountable because if you do, if you do hold them accountable, there is going to be an explosion. And the people said, an explosion of anger. Often people who are easily offended, um, <laughs> these people who will not allow you to say anything into their life, they will not allow you to speak anything in their life, they will not allow you in any level or any degree to hold them accountable. Often they are quite demanding of you. Often they are very critical of others. Yet they expect people to take from them unfiltered criticism because they're just trying to help you. When you try to help them, you're attacking them. Now, y'all, 
I've preached this twice already. And in both services, it sounded a little bit like a funeral. And y'all are following suit this morning. (laughs) But we need this. We need this. The reason churches fall apart is is because we don't deal with stuff like this. The reason companies fall apart, the reason families fall apart is because nobody will talk about this. Now, in the South, we got another little phrase for people like that who want to be able to speak into your life anything and expect you to take it. Then when you speak into their life, you're, you're being offensive. You're attacking them. Here's what we say about those people. They can dish it out, but they can't. They will look at you and say, I really want you to evaluate me. I really want you to speak into my life. I really want you to, to evaluate my characteristics and, and please be honest with me. If there's anything holding me back, I, I really want you to speak the truth. Now, let me just tell you, when they say that to you, this is just some advice. Put on a bulletproof vest first. How many of y'all glad to see some football on TV last night? You're going to want to get you one of those uniforms with the pads and the helmet and keep the bulletproof vest on under that. Then tell them what they just asked you to tell them and then run. (laughs) Because they say they want you to speak into their life, but they don't. They don't want you to. In the local church, we have to make sure that people like this do not end up in leadership roles. We have to make sure that people like this do not end up in places of authority until this stronghold is broken in their life. Now, here's the sad thing about toxic attitudes. Is that often the most gifted people the most talented people, the smartest people, the people who could impact in areas of leadership and ministry are so filled with toxic attitudes, you can't use them. And it isn't only true in the house of God, it is true on the job. It is true in companies. It is true in the military. It is true in any organization where there is a flow chart of authority. You cannot allow people. How many of y'all know this is the truth? If a a person gets in authority over over a bunch of people who has a toxic attitude, that whole section of that organization becomes toxic. Unfruitful. It becomes it becomes unfulfilling. The reason that you cannot put these people in leadership is because nobody wants to serve on their team. Nobody wants to serve with them. They don't want to serve under the authority of someone who has a bitter spirit, a toxic attitude. And the people said, y'all with me out there? Y'all love me? The fourth one is victim mentality. Victim mentality. Now, before I talk about victim mentality, let me tell you that there are some real victims. Last week, we looked at a video of Ben Sequel and his family, Megan and the kids. Wasn't that powerful? 
Now, I would say Ben Sinkle is a victim, wouldn't you? I mean, if you step on a landmine and you lose your leg from here down, you're a real victim. But did you pick up on a victim mentality in that video? No. I know people who have not even really experienced anything even close to what Ben Sinkle has experienced, but they do have a victim mentality. But I wanted you to understand there are people who are victims, physically abused, sexually abused, verbally abused, victims of terrorism, victims of war. We could go on and on and on. Let me tell you about people with a victim mentality. Now, here's what I want you to think about while I'm preaching today. I want you to understand that the reason I preach this and the reason I put this out there, I I got an email from a lady last night. She said, Pastor, I appreciate you going there. She put it in quotation marks because we're kind of going, Star Trek, where no man's gone before. I mean, we're really talking, we're getting down and real right here in this sermon, amen? And and let me tell you, it started on me. It's still working on me. Y'all only have to hear it one time. I gotta preach it four times. So it works on me every single time. You know what I say to that? Praise God, Holy Spirit, work on me. Change me. Bring up to the surface every toxic attitude in my life so I can look it right in the face and deal with it and get it out of my life so I can be fruitful in the kingdom of God. Y'all better be glad the seats are back because when I said fruitful, a lot of spit came out. (laughs) If this church was tiny, y'all would have got messed up right there on that second row. But it would have been holy spit. Let me tell you that right now. (laughs) But people with a victim mindset think everyone's out to get them. They just have a, I'm I'm not saying they think it's, I'm just saying it's just a mindset. They run everything through that filter. Poor, poor me. Everybody's out to get me. They think other people control their lives. They think other people control their happiness. They think other people control their success. Everything's everybody else's fault and what everybody else has been doing to them. They feel they have no control over what happens to them. What did Chuck Swindoll just say to us? He just said, it is our choice what attitudes we have. The victim mentality always feels wronged. Somebody done somebody wrong song. If y'all don't say amen more in my preaching, I will sing more. I'm threatening. Can I get some? Amen. All right. Let's get moving on that. The victim mentality says, I'm wronged, I'm cheated, people have it out for me. Listen, let me tell you, people with a a victim mentality, they really believe that the entire universe is aligned, the planets, everything in the cosmos is aligned against them. You ever heard people like that talk? 
It doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter what you say, doesn't matter what solutions you give them. You you can look at a person who is just going through all kinds of uh, uh, bad things and you can begin to give them some solutions and some steps and some people they need to talk to and some books they need to read and and you can hook them up with the counselor. You can do whatever you want to, but until that mindset right there is broken them, they are never going to be helped. They're never going to be helped. It'll be chronic. There's an old song, I mean old, when I was growing up. It was one of those uh, like 50 songs and the line was, why is everybody always picking on me? Charlie Brown. Y'all know that song? Who knows that song? Bunch of old people here today. Praise God. Listen. That's their theme song. Why is everybody always picking on me? That is the victim mentality That is their theme song. People with a victim mentality are powders. They are whiners. And they do all of this in an effort to get people to pity them. What a sad life. What a sad life is that the only attention you ever get is when you can convince somebody to pity you. Come on. Do you think God wants more for your life than that? Yes. This toxic mindset is of hell. This toxic mindset is of the devil. It needs to be broken in your life. Listen, God wants you free, fruitful, and fulfilled. And you will never have it as long as you carry around with you that victim mentality. You say, Pastor, have you ever had that? Sure, I've had all these. I've gone through all these. That's why I know so much about them. Let's look at the next one. Excuse maker. These lap, these kind of lap over each other. Do you see that? Excuse maker. Luke 14, 16 through 24. Let me read that to you. We're not going to put the scripture up on the screen. You're actually going to have to use your Bible today. And if you don't have your Bible, and obviously you're not going to see it on the screen, If you'll email me, Farrell at WhitleyChurch.com, I'll send you all these notes. Look what it says, Luke 14, 16. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, which would be like buying a brand new Mercedes Benz today. Uh, He says, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to test drive them. Try them out. Please excuse me. The only guy that had a real excuse was the next one. Still another said, I got married. (laughs) No, that wasn't a good enough excuse either. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room at the banquet. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. 
And I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Let me tell you something here. You know, there's a lot of teaching in that. There's a, I mean, I could do a whole five-part series on that passage of Scripture right there alone. But here's what God's basically saying there. You can make all the excuses you want to. I'm going to find somebody who will get it done. That's what God's saying. Make all the excuses you want to make. I'm going to find somebody who can get it done. So the message here is the guest in Jesus' story insult the host by making excuses when he sends out that invitation. The guest decides that other matters were more important at the time. Now, when you preach on excuses, you can talk about the excuses people give not to give their heart to God, and you could use that in here. Here's the, one I, I'm, here's the point I want to make today with this. I, I am just amazed at people who say what they want, but every time you tell them how to get it, they can tell you why they can't do that. Mm, mm, mm. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to talk to that person about a minute and a half, and I got to move on from that. Amen? Excuses. All pursuits, no matter how valid they seem, can rob people of their greatest blessing of instant and full obedience. You can pursue other things that seem very important and give excuses why you're not the man of God, not the woman of God, not the person God wants you to be, and you are going to get to the end of your life and have accomplished nothing primarily for him and nothing for your family because all you did through your whole life was talk about why it cannot get done, why it cannot be done. Now, for those of you who need more excuses, I have a list of them I'm going to give you here today. So write these down. Now, here's what I would suggest you do. For all you excuse makers, get a Rolodex. Keep it by your phone. When people call you and challenge you to get involved or challenge you to... You can just spin that thing and you'll get a great excuse. Okay, so I'm going to give you some good ones here. Y'all ready? I'm too short, I'm too weak, I'm too big, I'm too fat, I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough, I can't. I tried it, it won't work. My family's poor. I'm not ready yet, it's not working. I've got no choice. I don't have time, it's impossible. It's not the right time. I'm too busy. I overslept. My boss won't raise my salary. Nobody helps me. My coach is no good. My teacher is no good. Y'all getting these? <clears throat> Today is not a good day. It is because of them that we lost. My team members just didn't play very well. Something's wrong with the tools I was using. That's a great one, isn't it? Don't you love these guys that don't know even how to put two two-by-fours together, square angle, I is one, and they go, it's the tools. All right, for y'all who are writing these down, here comes some more. They won't allow me to do it. People don't understand me. People don't want to hire me. You got that one right? Okay. People don't know me. I'm tired. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it later. It's not that important. I don't have enough patience to do that. It's not my business. I wish I could. The weather is not good. 
Things just aren't coming together for me. Here's one we can all use. It's the economy. It's the economy. Man, Millie wanted to know why I washed the car. I told her it was the economy. It's the economy. We need to save water. I ain't through. Write these down. I got a headache. I got a stomachache. I don't know where to start. It's too complicated. I'm just a beginner. I'm new to this. I don't have any experience. And finally, it's just too dangerous. Here's what Benjamin Franklin said. He who is good for excuses is seldom good for anything else. Mm-hmm. This is going to be rough on that second service crowd, ain't it? Appreciate y'all letting me practice on you. All right, number six, critical spirit. A critical spirit is rooted in the human spirit, definitely not in the Holy Spirit. A person with a critical spirit often speaks out of, this is, I just love this, I love this. Um, Jim Rohn is a motivational speaker. He said that, um, he can take ignorance, but he can't take ignorance coupled with arrogance. He said, I just can't take that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. A person with a critical spirit, one who wants to criticize everything, often speaks out of limited or no personal knowledge or experience in the matter to which they are speaking. Y'all know what I mean by that? Uh, Dwight uh, Franks is a painter. We, uh, Hal Veroni is a painter. I wonder how many times these guys, when they're painting, have had the guy walk in like this. And, and, and these guys are professional painters, been painting for years, and they go, I, I wouldn't do it like that. <laughs> hey, dude, get a brush and a ladder and hush. Amen? The critical person. Um, a person with a critical spirit is an expert at tearing down, but a rookie at building up. I always recognize when I'm in the presence of a person with a critical spirit, any encounter with them, any encounter with them always ends up in criticism of something. Can I just do some drama? How many of y'all, uh, I want to tell y'all something. I'm an awesome husband. Let me just tell you why. Well, there are many reasons, but let me just give you one. I go to the grocery store. I go to the grocery store. Now, I get the wrong stuff, but I go. <laughs> you ever been in Walmart, Target, grocery store? Got your buggy, and you turn around this aisle, and you see somebody. And you go, <laughs> and hope you don't hear, hey, hey. And then you're like, oh, hey. And then they're coming, you know, and you're going, hey, Jesus, Jesus. Rapture, please, let the rapture happen. And they come up, you know, and they're talking, and 30 seconds into the conversation, they're criticizing something or somebody 
or some situation. Is it just me? I mean, you walk into some people's house and before you can even sit down and wiggle into the chair, they are talking about somebody, talking about something, criticizing. I like what Dr. Adrian Rogers said. He said, it don't take much size to criticize. Anybody can do it. A person with a critical spirit is um, a hair splitter. I call them hair splitters. You know what that means? Nitpickers. Always searching for something to criticize. The, the, the Pharisees were like that. The Pharisees were like that. And Jesus looked at them in Matthew 23 and said, you, you swallow a gnat and, and, and strain at a camel. So what, what does that mean? They, they just found it real easy to swallow legalistic rules. But when the real truth was preached, it gagged them. Y- y'all with me? They found it real easy to, to bring up their rules, but were critical of the true word of God. In other words, um, they were like those people who believe and I dress like this today on purpose. I, I just am a little extra sloppy today. Because I wanted to illustrate how some people think dressing formal at church is more important than loving people no matter how they dress. A person with a critical spirit <clears throat> feeds on negativity. A person with a, a critical spirit is notorious for fostering, fostering doubt in others. See, you, the, you, those of you who've been in the church for a long time and you've got that critical, sour spirit, see, you, you, don't, know, you don't know how you're going to be held accountable. Sometimes people who've been in the church a long time, somebody will come in the church and they're a new convert, they're a new believer, they're a new creation, they've just recently committed their life to Christ, and then they run into somebody who they know has been in that church for 20 years. So what do they expect to find in that person? Sweetness and spiritual maturity and, and maybe uh, someone who can mentor them and help them, but instead they run into somebody who's been in the church for a long time, but they hadn't grown toward God one day since the day they accepted Christ, and they developed a bitter, critical spirit, and then they speak it to that new believer, and that new believer becomes confused and hurt and damaged by that. Do you hear me? Because I'm telling you, see, we don't understand how important this is. We don't understand how serious this kind of stuff is with God. When you start messing with his babies... That's dangerous ground. And people with a critical spirit, and I've seen people with a critical spirit who can speak in tongues, and I've seen people with a critical spirit who can quote scripture, and I've seen people with a critical spirit, and they act like they're holier and more spiritual and closer to God than everybody else, and they are bitter to the core. And the damage you're doing to the kingdom of God, I can't even measure it. A person with a critical spirit fosters unbelief, doubt, suspicion, and fear. You might say, well, you better not, you better not come up to me and hold me accountable for it. You know, I might not, I, I may not have the courage to do that, but, but just hear the word of the Lord. You will be held accountable. 
This is sort of a gross illustration, but a person with a sour stomach, it doesn't matter what kind of meal you put in front of them cooked by the greatest chef in the world, they will always turn up their nose at it because they're sour on the inside. And i got to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I've been a pastor for almost 40 years. The church has a bunch of these people who just are sour inside. So everything they see, everything you offer to them, every time you try to please them, every time you try to say, well, maybe if I do this, that, they are not going to like it because they're sour in here. There's nothing wrong with what you're offering. There's nothing wrong with what you're presenting. The problem's in here. It's a messed up toxic mindset. Number seven, the green-eyed monster. Jealousy. The Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about love. Spirit-filled love, Christian love, Christian love, spirit-filled love, supernatural love. It says that if you are a real Christian, your love will endure long. In other words, you'll put up with stuff. If you are a strong, healthy Christian, your love will be patient and kind. Your love will never be envious, nor ever boil over with jealousy. If you are strong in God, your love is not boastful or vainglorious and does not display itself haughtily. Let me describe the jealous person to you. And this overlaps again with some of the other things I've already talked about. <clears throat> People who are really jealous also quite often have coupled with that the victim mentality. Jealous people often, uh, they, they, they feel intentionally slighted. As a matter of fact, it is a pattern in their life. Just about every situation they get in, they always feel like they were looked over, they were ignored, they were neglected, they were cheated, they were uh, overlooked, they were uncared for. Jealousy rises up in resentment and anger when it sees another person get recognition. These are toxic attitudes. They will destroy a church. They will destroy a home. They will destroy a business. They will destroy any organization. One of the things the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 is that love that is spirit-filled, love that comes from Jesus, celebrates when your brother celebrates, weeps when your brother weeps. But I've seen situations in the church when somebody's brother wept, there was celebration in his pain. Y'all with me out there? That's a sin. Are you, are you jealous of somebody and when something bad happens to them, you don't let it out that everybody can see it, but on the inside you're like, Jealousy is resentful when others are recognized. Jealousy is angry when others are celebrated. Jealousy hates it when another person is successful. Jealousy is bitter when another person has more talent. Jealousy gets mad when somebody else gets promoted or awarded or gets the stage.
Jealousy is expressed in anger, pouting, gossip. Matter of fact, one of the things that I see in people who are jealous is they want to, they think if they, here, here's the guy I like. The guy or the gal that you walk up to them and say, hey, did you hear about so-and-so and and that good thing that happened to them, and they go, yeah, I heard about that, but did, did you know that so-and-so and so-and-so about them? There's some folks in my life I can count on that reaction every time I say something positive about another person. I can count on them to go, yeah, 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 I heard about that, I saw that, but let, let me tell you the real deal about that guy. See, they think that makes them get lifted. They think that makes them, but it doesn't. <clears throat> Jealousy is expressed in um, chronic fault finding. Because, see, they, if, if they can just find fault in everybody else, somehow they think that lifts them up. People who are jealous will exaggerate the negative. People who are jealous... Um, it, it, they will express it in the mistreatment of the people who love you most because they're an easy target. Here's what I mean by that. Some, some of you guys and gals were, were so career-oriented and the, the women are working outside the home as much as the men are now. And, and when we go to work, we work with people who have a toxic attitude. And, and because we're not walking in the Word and because we're not walking in prayer and because we're not walking in intimacy with God, their toxic attitude bleeds over on us so we don't like them. So all of a sudden we are jealous when they get a job promotion that they didn't deserve because we're smarter and we've done more and they actually haven't done nearly as much. They're just politically more savvy than we are. So they got the job promotion. So we come home from work that day and we didn't take it out on anybody where we work. We took it out on our children and we took it out on our wife and we took it out on our husband let me tell you guys and gals something and guys I gotta tell you something we're worse we're, we're not exclusive it isn't exclusive for guys but, but guys we're worse let's face it you, you say well it's hard for me to take it off between Work and coming home. Put a bucket at your back door. Just put a bucket. So that when you, right before you walk in your door at the end of the day, that you see that bucket and it reminds you to take all the stuff that you're bitter, all the stuff where you got mistreated, all the stuff where you got neglected, all the frustrations, all the people you want to kill. Did I say that out loud? I did say, okay. <laughs> and you put them in the bucket and listen, and you walk in that house and you love your babies because they're glad you're home and they're glad to see you and they've been missing you all day and they don't want no old angry bear walking in the house that mama has to say before they walk in the door, y'all go to your room, go to your room. Daddy's home. Don't create that in your house. If you're mad about something at work, leave it at work. 
jealousy and these toxic attitudes, if you're not walking in the word, if you're not walking in Jesus, if you're not spending time in the house of God and spending time with your small group or spending time with somebody who can hold you accountable, you're gonna get, you're gonna be a Christian, you're gonna be in this church, you'll be a church member, all of that, but you will be toxic in your house. Don't do it. Jealousy is expressed by causing division on teams. Jealousy is expressed by causing division within organizations and ministries and groups. Jealousy says, I don't like the way this leader's leading our ministry. Come over here, let's whisper about it. It's a sin. You say, well, that leader could be wrong. God will deal with that. God will deal with that. It will divide personal relationships and marriage. The jealous person is never helped by their jealousy. Let, let, let me just close right here and, and tell our guest what it means when I say we're going to close. doesn't mean anything. But listen. But it gives you what? Hope, Yes. And we're all about hope in this church. Listen, listen carefully. Let's, let's just go back. Control freak. Rebellion. Easily offended. Victim mentality. Excuse maker. Um, critical spirit. These are toxic attitudes. I've got to tell you all something. I gave you seven I could have gave you, I could have given you 70 toxic attitudes. Here, here's what we think. Now, now you've got to listen carefully right here or you're going to miss me. Now, when I move this over here to the side, that is really a good sign right there. L listen, listen to me. And I want you to get what I'm about to say. See, the reason we become control freaks the reason we become rebellious, the reason we become easily offended, the reason we become critical, the reason we become jealous, the reason we get victim mindsets, and the reason we become excuse makers, the reason we get these toxic attitudes, listen carefully to me now, is that whether consciously or subconsciously, we think that this attitude is going to benefit us somehow. You would never do it. You would never do this if you didn't think, at least in your subconscious, that somehow this will benefit me. Somehow this is going to help me. It's going to help me to be critical of that person. It's going to help me to be angry at that person. It's going to help me to make everybody feel sorry for me and have the victim mentality. That's going to help me. Listen to me. These things will never help you. They're never going to help you. You say, well, pastor, what do I do? What do I do with, I mean, I see myself in some of this, pastor. What do I do? Here's what the Bible tells you to do. The Bible tells you to change clothes. The Bible tells you to take off the spirit of heaviness and put on the garment of praise. Listen to the scripture. Listen. Romans 13, 
12 through 14. The night is far gone and the day is almost here. Let us then drop, the Greek there is fling away. Think of all these toxic attitudes I've been preaching on. Here's what God's telling you to do with them. You want to know. You say, why don't you just preach to me? Tell me what the answer is. Here's the answer. Get it off. Fling it away. Get it away from you. Let us then drop, fling away the works and deeds of darkness. Because all these seven things, they're deeds and works of darkness. They have nothing to do with God. They're works of darkness. And he says, fling them off, fling them away. And then he says in Romans 13, 12, he says, and put on the armor of light. Who's the armor of light? Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and says, let us live and conduct ourselves honorably. Let us live and conduct ourselves becomingly. As in, as in the open light of day, not reveling. Now I want you to listen. He's going to start listing some sins here. L listen to the sins Paul lists here. Reveling and drunkenness. If you put those together and study that, just a, a party spirit. Just a party spirit. Then he talks about sexual sin. He says, he says, reveling in drunkenness, that party spirit, carousing spirit. Then he says, not, not in immorality and debauchery. Those two words mean sensuality and licentiousness. So Paul has talked about the sin of just partying and the sin of immorality, having sexual relations with people you're not married to having lustful thoughts, all of that. Then he mentions two more sins right after he mentions those terrible, 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 horrible, horrible, horrible sins. Then he mentions quarreling and jealousy. See, we, we've categorized sin in the church. We've got the really bad stuff. See, Churches love it when preachers get up and talk about prostitutes. I've got to tell y'all something. We ain't got that many here at Whitley. That's why y'all are like, yeah, tell it. I love our preacher. He tells it like it is. Then when I go quarreling and jealousy, everybody goes, Because, see, we got them dirty, nasty, rotten, low-down sins, and we got those respectable sins. But they all... Matter of fact, Paul just... <laughs> I love Paul. Paul goes, partying, and we're like, yeah, but I don't party, so yeah, preach it. Debauchery. I don't even know what that is, but I know that's wrong. No, man. <laughs> I know I ain't doing no debauchery. Licentiousness, oh, that's got to be bad. Amen, preach it. Quarreling and jealousy. Mm. <laughs> and then in verse 14, here's what he says. He says, take off all that. I'm not going to demonstrate. <laughs> <laughs> if I took my shirt off, the little children would be saying, look, mommy, an albino whale. <laughs> all right, Listen. We got to get him back in the water. <laughs> I 
Here's what, here's what Paul says. Paul says, take off your bitterness. Take off your toxic attitude. Take it off. And, and he, says, he says, and clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in Romans 13, 12 through 14. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and make no provision. Don't give way. Don't open the door. Don't even let in a little crack of those toxic attitudes. Make no provision for indulging the flesh. Listen to this. Put a stop to thinking about the evil cravings of your nature, your physical human nature, and your desires. Put on the garment of praise in the place of the spirit of heaviness. Because I've got to tell you something. Those toxic attitudes, ladies and gentlemen, they are not a blessing to you. They're a heaviness to you. They don't help you. They hurt you. When you got that, nobody wants to be around you. Not even the person you're married to. Your own little children, the people you work with, your own family, your friends that you think are your friends. Why do you think they're always making excuses not to be with you? Because you got this mess in you. The Bible says Jesus can get it out. Break those roots. Set you free. Man, pastor, that's hard preaching right there. Why do you preach like that? Because I love you and I want you free. I want you free. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you, God, for letting us hear it straight up. Because I got to tell you, what I preached to the very last word applies to me first. Farrell Hardison first. I don't want anybody to go out of here going... Who does he think he, I don't think I'm, I think I need this as much as you. That's who I think I am. I think I need this sermon. I need this preaching. I need this as much as anybody here today. So Father, let it begin in me. Let the change begin in me. I pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said. Now guys, listen up. Our prayer team's gonna come. Those of you who minister to people in prayer, you might not officially be on the prayer team, but you minister to people in prayer. I want you to come. And let's pray for people. I want you to come. Bring, look, it might not be you that has the struggle, but you want to bring somebody up here. You want to bring up a friend. You want to bring up a family member. You see a toxic attitude trying to destroy them. And you want to bring that up here today.